So we've been going through the uh, book of Jonah over the past month, and today we've reached the final chapter, chapter 4. And when you give this book some study and some thought, you might be wondering certain things. Certain things might be coming to mind. And I mean, really, you read about this guy who really, really goes out of his way to avoid God. And then you get God who seems to go out of his way to do different things. I mean, he sends a major hurricane and he sends it to these sailors and to Jonah. And sailors are forced then to have a discussion about throwing someone overboard. And then they actually do throw him overboard. And then there's this big fish or whale or whatever you want to call it who follows God's plan follows God's will. This fish is following God's will. And he gulps up this drowning prophet, keeping him alive in the disgusting belly for three days, only to barf him up on shore. And finally, Jonah obeys God's will. Jonah is also sent to this huge evil city of hundreds of thousands of people to preach the gospel of repentance and preach the good news, only to find these evil citizens turn their lives over to God. And then in this chapter 4, Jonah pouts about it for a few days because this is just not fair. I don't know about you, but I think we could probably agree that this is one weird story. And some people may even question whether this really did even happen or is it some sort of parable. Well, we know that Jonah is a prophet. Uh, We know that he served King Jeroboam's reign. 2 Kings 14.25. And the purpose of this story in the scriptures is not to convince you that it's a real story or not. Although I'm going to believe that this story is real. Because it is so ridiculous. It's got to be real. And our God can do amazing and sometimes crazy things. And will continually to continue to surprise us and even perplex us. We may ask questions. We will ask questions. Now, one further strange thing is that Jonah 3, verse 10, would have been a nice ending. Last week, we read the words, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Amen. The end. And everyone lived happily ever after. Well, at least for 168 years until Nineveh was eventually destroyed. But that was decades later. But if the story ended there, Jonah would have been known as one of the greatest prophets and evangelists, turning hundreds of thousands of people from evil towards God. But it doesn't end there. And this is a story about God and His mercy and His compassion. And God is teaching each of us a lesson on mercy and compassion through this story, through the prophet Jonah. So this morning, we read Jonah chapter 4. And we will begin with uh, verse three, or chapter 3, verse 10, and continue to read the 11 verses of chapter 4. <clears throat> Before we do, let's pray. God Almighty, we come to you again, and uh, we recognize that you are holy, that you are awesome, that you do amazing things, and some of the things that we don't even, most of the things we don't even understand, but through faith... We believe in you and we love you. And we hear again a story from your word about your compassion, your mercy, your love, and your grace. And how you call us to be obedient to you and show that to others as well. 
So bless the reading of your word this morning through Jonah 4 and the proclamation of your word. Um, Holy Spirit, we pray that uh, you will open our ears and our eyes to what it is that we need to hear again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we read chapter 4, but I'm going to read uh, 3 verse 10 again. We already heard it briefly, but 3 verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Also translated as sometimes very evil. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? And that's where it ends. I can't help but chuckle as I'm reading this chapter. But this chapter is very important in teaching us about God, and I think also about ourselves. Because if you, as we're reading this, this chapter is not only focusing on God, but it's also focusing on anger. It has a focus on anger issues. Begging to ask us, why do people get ticked off? Why do people get angry? Why did Jonah get angry? Why do I get angry? Well, some people just have an anger issue. And if if that's the case, it's like that six-year-old boy in that story earlier that I shared, writing his sins on the paper and needing the help of people. We need the help of people. You need outside assistance to work on this. You need God's Holy Spirit in your life to work on anger issues. Others get angry, and, and others call it righteous anger. There's something unjust that's occurring, and it just stirs up inside of us. But the problem with righteous anger is that often... It is we ourselves who determine what is unjust. It's very subjective. It's open to our interpretation and likely our interests. When we read the story of Jonah, and you think about instances of our own anger, much anger, not all, but much anger is likely due to self-centeredness, self-righteousness, self-absorbedness. Last week, I had the opportunity of calling Revenue Canada Agency 
And when I finally got through, all I wanted to do is ensure that this small payment that was made was applied to the correct taxation year for my wife, Michelle. Yeah, there's where the problem comes. Because without proper consent, I knew that I was not likely to talk about her information, but I thought I would try anyways. It was just a simple task of checking and and just applying this random payment to the proper taxation year if it wasn't applied correctly. And out of the kindness of the agent's heart, if it was incorrect, he could apply it correctly. It wasn't about sharing any information. Anyways, after being on hold far too long, and then being told even what I knew was probably going to happen, I was ticked off. And I was angry with this CRA guy, and he knew it. And I did have to apologize, and I thanked him for being so professional, he was, and so patient with me on the phone. And following that call, I had to reflect on why did I get angry over something stupid like that? The Ritter Church Renewal uh, journey that we're on encourages us to ask who we be or, or how do we show up in certain instances or what, why do we do what we do and to reflect on that. So I did reflect on that and after reflecting on it, it was because I was self-centered. I knew what was right, but I still thought, I still expected the law could be bent a little bit for me. And I still think the law is ridiculous But that's, again, because of my self-centeredness. My perspective doesn't take into account people who have been victimized by their spouses or others with respect to information being accessed improperly. So I was showing little compassion and mercy to others in different circumstances. Just a simple example. Chapter 4, we see this lack of compassion and mercy through self-centered anger. A grown man throwing a temper tantrum. He's like a young child or teenager throwing this temper tantrum before his parents. He's ticked. He's angry. And he even mentions, I just want to die. He's angry about the city not being destroyed. And then he's angry about a tree being destroyed. And he wants to see people get the punishment and condemnation that they deserve. No mercy. And then the tree gets destroyed, and he's all upset. Again, the story should have ended at three, chapter 3, verse 10, because in chapter 4, we see this self-centered, angry prophet. Well, Jonah finally did what God asked him to, and then he felt that God was being unjust, that this action was unjust of God. And that there must be some mistake. As we read, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And again, very wrong could be translated as just evil. The people were evil. And Jonah is calling God's actions evil. And Jonah is giving God some strong words here. And now on the one hand, Jonah is calling out God on this evil mistake that God must have made. And yet on the other hand, he is saying, God, I knew this was going to happen. Because you are gracious, you are compassionate, you are slow to anger, you are abounding in love. You are God who relents from sending calamity. Verse 2. Why are you so merciful? Why do you hold back on punishment when they deserve punishment? Now, you would think 
that Jonah seen so many people turn from evil that he would have rejoiced, that he would have been excited. But no, he was angry. Maybe because imagine Jonah returning to Israel. He wouldn't be a hero. He'd probably be looked upon as a traitor. People hearing that Jonah was part of the reason that Nineveh was saved and not destroyed, that the, Isra- the enemy of Israel is still around... Jonah's reputation was also at stake. And that led to self-centered anger. Jonah's self-absorbed. If you notice in the first part of the chapter 4, a lot of I, me, my, it's mentioned so many times. It's all about Jonah. And so Jonah went to the east of the city where he could keep an eye on the city and watch what God was going to hopefully still do with it. He built himself a shelter with the intention of camping out there for a bit to watch, maybe for waiting for that 40 days to come upon and and hoping destruction would still set in. Now, if Jonah was actually waiting for their destruction, you have to wonder how sincere and passionate was Jonah's gospel message and the preaching when he trying to turn the people's hearts towards God. Repent and believe. Turn from your evil ways. Or don't. Yet, you gotta think. Even if Jonah was a little impassionate, maybe he wasn't preaching exactly what he was supposed to preach or with the passion he was supposed to preach with. God used Jonah. And God still did all the work. Hundreds of thousands of people turning to the Lord. And God wanted Jonah to see God's compassion, God's mercy. Which Jonah said that he did. But maybe Jonah expected, well, you know, that's something for God, but don't count on it for me to live it out in my life. And God wanted to teach Jonah compassion and mercy. And God gave the shade. And as the Lord gives, he also takes away now, as I'm reading this story, you've got to admit that God was a bit of an instigator, like kind of rallying Jonah up and sending him this plant, killing this plant, sending that east wind. And then when the tree died, Jonah was angry again. Again, showing that Jonah cared more about this tree than about people. Jonah cared more about himself. And he was probably hoping that God would still condemn the people. Well, it is God's role to judge people. It's not our role to judge people. It's also God's role and His nature, His character, to show compassion and mercy. And He does desire His people to show that too. And He calls us as our role to to love people, to show compassion, to show mercy, even to those who appear to be against God's will. Because really, aren't we all in that category? Last week, we turned to a story uh, in the New Testament, kind of comparing it to jo- Jonah, um, where in the New Testament book, Matthew uh, 21, 28 to 32, Jesus is telling a story to the people, a parable to the people around him. And Jesus was talking about these two sons, and uh, these two sons were asked by their father to go to the vineyard, and one son was compared to Jonah because he said no, and then later on he said yes, and then the other son 
basically said yes, but he just never did it. Reflecting that God desires obedience. He doesn't just want us to say yes and not do it. He wants us to do it. Well, today we pay attention to the latter part of the story in Matthew 21. And Jesus said to the listeners that were around him, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Now can you imagine that setting for a moment, how angry the Pharisees and the other listeners, others listening to Jesus would have been? The listeners who feel that they are leading good and obedient lives. They're keeping the Ten Commandments and the total of 613 Jewish commandments. That's a lot to obey. And here Jesus is telling them that the tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of heaven ahead of them. And these are fighting words, people. And in fact, these are words that got Jesus killed. Now, I don't know what that would look like today. But maybe Jesus would be talking about the drag queens or those in same-sex relationships or those who cheat on their tax returns or others who steal for necessity or maybe us who live self-centered lives. Could they, we, they enter the kingdom of heaven before those who just come to church, obey the laws and pretend to put on a Christian facade? And if Jesus did this, if he said that to us today, I'm sure many of our blood pressures would be rising already. Because it doesn't seem fair. And our anger sets in. And we think, though, that this is righteous anger. But likely it's self-righteous, self-centered anger. The Pharisees, Jonah, and perhaps many of us are saying, like, wait a second. What about us who are obedient? Or us who live normal lives. But maybe the point is, who defines what normal is when we're all sinners and we all fall short of God's glory and we are all equally in need of God's mercy? I think we make a terrible definitions of what normal is, especially if Scripture is saying tax collectors, prostitutes, and evil Ninevites are invited into the kingdom of God. Is that normal? Perhaps the biblical definition of normal is, is someone, a sinner, who commits to a life of following Jesus, who understands His grace and mercy, and someone who submits or commits to a life of compassion and mercy towards others. I think today that the church is known too often for what it's against than what it's for. We have so many things that uh, get us angry and we fight against all that we see is wrong. But how much do we get angry for compassion and mercy towards all people? How much do we get angry fighting and getting angry for what is right? Not for what we want right, but what is right. God's saving grace and the gospel message to all nations, to all peoples. You know, the things that used to rile me up and the things that I had all the answers for, 
Well, they no longer rile me up, and I realize I don't have the answers. But we strive to be obedient to the Lord and to the Micah 6, 8 command, right? I mean, and I think some of you are, when you hear the word Micah 6, I think some of you want to shout that out, so I'm going to give you that chance. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, verse 8, true gem. (laughs) Remember what mercy is. Mercy is not giving somebody what they deserve. They might deserve judgment, but instead they receive compassion. We deserve judgment, but instead we receive compassion. And mercy is hard to extend to people. Because a part of Micah 6, verse 8 that we just read, also walk humbly with your God. We see self-centered anger often in our lives. And we see it in our daily lives as well. You know, certain policies or, or, you know, that we don't necessarily agree with or just kind of a nuisance, like that CRA policy that I was telling you about. And we have this in church too. A good example, I think, is a safe church policy where, you know, you start to think about it. There's so many rules about ages and, and then how many people can serve here or there or not here or there or no family members serving together or make sure there's windows in the doors. And, and we think, come on, just give us a break. I mean, there's so much to follow. But you know what? That's nothing but self-centered thinking. We're forgetting to have compassion and mercy for those who have been impacted by lack of safe church policies. You know, many issues, and not all issues, but many issues in our lives and the church, when you start thinking about it, they're rooted in self-centeredness. Our anger is often self-centered and disguised as righteous. Worship wars, which have impacted so many churches, are about people using scripture to argue that this is how I think worship should be or stay more like what I want. Sacraments, whether it be baptism or Lord's Supper, leadership and leadership in the church, women in office, mostly, not always, but mostly all self-centered. I reflect back on most issues that angered me in my life or in the life of the church. And more often it was due to self-centeredness. Just like Jonah. And in all those instances, I have to learn to show compassion, to show mercy. Because we often don't see the big picture. We just see our small corner of our own world or our own pew and define what normal is according to my life, to my standards. But what about God's standards? I think God is using this chapter 4 and the story of Jonah to simply get a point across about how silly and unjust we, his people, can be and how gracious and compassionate he can be. Jonah would rather die than not have his own way, and yet Jonah knew the attributes of God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. I mean, you've got to admit, there's a bit of a sense of humor in this book. And I just get a kick out of how God is using his creation, a plant, a worm, a hurricane, a big fish. He's using his people. And he's using all of this to teach this prophet Jonah a lesson, to teach us a lesson. A point that his creation is obedient to him. And how often does our self-centeredness kick in and we resist and we get angry with God or with others? 
I think this passage of Jonah, God is trying to teach us just to cool our jets. That maybe we think again, we see the big picture, but we don't. God sees the big picture, and sometimes we just don't have a clue. God, what are you calling us to? What are you calling us to be obedient? Let's be reminded that Jesus looks at the heart. We read in 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Perhaps God doesn't have the same definition of what a normal follower of Jesus would look like because he doesn't look at the same things that we do. He looks at the heart. How can we possibly look at the heart? Well, the book of Jonah closes off with a question. And it's a question that doesn't get, a, get answered. And the biggest issue is not what was Jonah's answer, but what would our answer be? How are we going to respond to God's mercy and His grace? God is not telling us to accept sinful behavior or to accept sins, our sins included. But we're called to love people despite people's behavior. We're called to be compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. We're not God, but we're called to represent Him to a broken and hurting world. So who is God calling you to extend mercy to today? Who deserves maybe discipline, but instead you'll give mercy and love today? God showed us the greatest act of mercy when He sent His Son to the cross. And Jesus could have looked at our sins and He could have said to hell with us. He could have said, we're going to hell. But instead, he looked at our messy lies. And he looked at all our sins. And he said, I'm going to forgive you all your sins. In fact, didn't even say on the cross, right? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they've done. Forgiveness. Even without knowledge or repentance. Mercy. Compassion. So let us err on the side of compassion and mercy. And I'm not exactly sure what that looks like, but together we can work on it. And together we will make mistakes. But by God's grace, He will forgive us for our mistakes, and we will learn from them. But let's be obedient to God. And it's okay to be angry at things, but it's not okay to be self-centered. Thank God that he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Amen. Let's pray together. Let's stand to pray and then we'll follow the prayer with the song, Give Us Clean Hands, as part of our prayer. Lord God, we admit to you and to one another that we are so often self-centered. And that leads us to be ticked off and often angry at one another and even at, sometimes at you and maybe at times your church. Forgive us for uh, our self-centeredness and uh, work in us through your spirit to be humble and to be compassionate and to show mercy to others that may not appear normal to us or maybe they are our enemy, just like the Ninevites and Jonah. Help us to realize that mercy that you have shown to us and the love and grace that you have shown to us. Lord, give us clean hands.